Hi, I'm Rob Vanstone. Welcome to another impromptu edition of the Rider Rumblings podcast. I'm used to calling it the Rider Rumblings video podcast, but technology being as it is right now, we're relying on something, relying on audio and something called Zencaster, <laughs> Lancaster. So that's good for me. Uh, Murray McCormick is with us uh, in socially distant fashion from his East Regina estate. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, the CFL and federal funding and myriad issues pertaining to the um, COVID-19 as it affects football. So, uh, Murr, we'll start off with you. Um, what what do you make of all this? First off, I'm going to start on a happy note. Can I? Golf course is open tomorrow in Saskatchewan. Let's celebrate that little bit of normalcy returning to our lives, that people are finally going to be able to go out and do something fun in restrictive world, and I'm sure golfers will all do that, but Let's celebrate. Golf course is opening tomorrow, Rob. What's your best score at the Lakeview? I kind of fifty nine. I'm I'm the Al Guyberger of the uh, Lakeview Par Three golf course. I got a wow. fifty nine out there in nineteen eighty three. So I'm actually I'm actually getting that itch again. I want to go out there and uh, and golf because it's actually something we can do. So yeah. I'm going to be investigating the Lakeview Par Three over the weekend. Um, a lot of things have happened, and we question what's going on in the world. But I, I initially, when they first announced golf courses opening, I thought it was too soon. I really did, but I've kind of mellowed in the last couple of weeks since that announcement, and uh, I've talked to golfers, and I'm even going to get out golfing, so I'm, I'm really excited about it. But on a sad point, I have time to golf because there's no CFL training camps this weekend. Yeah, we didn't expect you to be golfing this weekend, or we expected to fire you if you were golfing this weekend. <laughs> I'm hoping, but I normally on this weekend I had planned to be working like crazy covering the first rider training camp at Mosaic Stadium, the new Mosaic Stadium. Uh, they were supposed to hold it there because of uh, they're putting in, well, supposedly putting in new turf and renovations up north in Saskatoon. So you and I would have been up to our ears in football and thinking, man, what are we going to do this year? How are we going to handle a great cup year? You know, we're looking at each other. You'll tell me how great of a job and how you do it for free. And I'd say, yes, I agree with you and sort of smirking a little bit, but. It's just a total alternative, alternative universe that we never, ever dreamed would happen. Even, even when we started writing about this way back in March, the sense was there's only going to – I didn't think it was going to last this long, even though it, we did. But you know what I mean by that? That you just thought it would be a little – it was a pandemic, but I never thought we'd be sitting here on uh, in, late, in mid-May not, go, not having any training camps, not knowing when the season is going to start, dealing with – the ramifications of not even having a season. Like it's just been so many things that's going on and you just say, well, at least tomorrow we got golf. So how's that for my, uh, my opening? It doesn't have anything to do with anything, but it's just, Hey, I'm sitting at home alone all the time. The cats don't even talk to me. So it's kind of nice to have a chat with someone. Anyway, Rob, what was the question? And the tiger cats don't talk to you either. So, um, (laughs) sorry. Uh, (laughs) What's your take on the federal funding? Mine is this. Uh, the league obviously has some optics issues. It's never an easy sell at the best of times to advance the notion that professional sports should get taxpayers' money. Uh, in the midst of a pandemic, it's even a, an infinitely tougher sell. Now you factor in the Americans, and I think you can look at that from two standpoints. One, the league has de-emphasized Canadians so much over the last decade or two that it is coming back to to bite them or at least nibble on them now. And two, should the federal government be 
subsidize the salaries of American-born players, most of whom are the high-profile players in the league? I would argue yes, because there's a larger issue, which is preserving a Canadian identity or a Canadian institution in the form of the Canadian Football League. Plus, a lot of those players or all of those players would, would pay taxes in Canada. So why shouldn't they derive benefits from a bailout if uh, that money is to be forthcoming? But that's just my view. What's uh, your opinion, Mer? I'm with you. I think the players are getting kind of slammed unfairly in this. They make their living in Canada. They pay their taxes in Canada. They pay into EI in Canada. They contribute to the Canadian lifestyle. They come up here and they're somehow, I don't, I guess everyone thinks CFL players are millionaires. And you and I both know there's few millionaires in the CFL other than the guys who are quarterbacks and they make a lot of money. So I think the players deserve, even though they, they live in the States, they're still employees and they make their living in Canada. And I think that's overlooked in this whole thing that let's, let's support guys who do something in Canada and work. And that's my thing. I'm still, I'm still unhappy with Randy Bambrosi's presentation last Thursday, but this was the one week anniversary. I think he was unprepared in a sense that I've always said that Randy's a great businessman, absolutely businessman doing all these things. He wasn't a very good politician on that day. And I think he was a little overwhelmed and overshadowed by what he did. I think he could have been better prepared. I think they should have had a game plan ready. I think they should have had some sort of statement when they asked about the players. This is what we're doing with the players. I'm not what he's going to say, but he should have had something to do with that. So I was still disappointed in that. I still think one of the parts about this Canadian CFL is it's people talk about they should be supported. I think the economic impact of CFL teams are really being overlooked here. They're a small business and a big business picture. The economic impact of how many employees work with whoever has places, is a story I had today in the paper. Four to 500 people work at Everest Place for every rider game. It generates 1.8 million in ticket sales. You have all the auxiliary people whose lives are lapped up and working and part of their lives are because the CFL is there. So I think it's not just supporting a professional league. It's a professional league with huge economic benefits to Canada. And even the teams that are struggling, they still things still work out. So from that standpoint, it should be supported. And I think it's, I would like to see it. The 150 million is a lot of money, but I think I've said this before, there's billions being talked about out there now. This is 150 million relatively, now I don't want to say it's no money, but it's, it's a relatively real understandable sum for the CFL to ask. But I also want to mention, this is a long answer, I'm getting like you, that's the worst case scenario, this 150 million. I think the CFL needs the 30 million right now to get it to the point where they can actually have a season, in my mind. I think that's the workable figure right now. I think think it's not giving the payments and installments as needed as opposed to committing to a massive amount that may not be required. Yeah, that's the worst case scenario. And I think Randy deserves, he had to do that. He had to bring up, you you don't go in there and tell him, well, look, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have 3.5 million and the Eskimos made 2.5 million or 4 million, the rides. You don't tell him all the good news because you're asking for money. I think, the fact is, like, if they don't have a season, the season ticket holders are going to ask for their money back and sponsorship, and that's going to crush the Rough Riders, a whole league. And I think that's what Randy did. A, a, he brought that up. I don't think he did a good enough job of stressing that. But did you, you know, you, what did you think, Rob? You know, did you think, like, we both had our, it was jarring, not unexpected, but 
I don't know. It just wasn't transparent enough. I don't. I just feel that they may they may have blown their chance a little bit because of that. Do you think that's that's yeah, they, they didn't help their chance, and there will be other opportunities. But the optics were so bad right out of the gate. The fact that the the players hadn't been part of the uh, the pitch, and that they were so far behind in terms of even incorporating the players into the discussions, not only with the federal government, with, with but with the Canadian Football League. Was it was a very bad look and a surprising look because if you go to Randy's road trip or if you see him in public, usually he's capable of owning a room and winning over an audience, and that's not what he did during his presentation to the House of Commons Committee on Finance. Uh, it's a tough situation for any sports commissioner. You look at uh, there's so many unknowns, and you can't you can't account for every possibility because nobody knows. What the, what the lay of the land is going to be. The smartest people in the world uh, are, are lost for answers right now. Until there's a vaccine, I don't think anything could be stated definitively. But that said, Randy Ambrosi did not handle that as, as well as he could have, and as well as one would have expected him to, considering the manner in which he usually uh, presents himself and, and presents the league by extension. Well, a part that has me scratching my ever-growing bald spot is how do the CFL pay players if there aren't any games? Because CFL paychecks are based on 18 games a regular season. Their checks are based on playing games. So how do you extrapolate that? We have no games, so how do we pay these people? I don't know how they do that. Do you know what I'm trying to say there? That they have no income coming in. So how do they – so maybe the including the players in the initial ask was might have been a little premature to see what they could get, but – as it's optic-wise, I don't know. Players are played by the game. If you don't have any games, how do you play them? pay them? I don't know. Yeah, and how much do you pay them? Yeah, In light of the – if you don't have any games, do you still pay the peak salaries of $700,000, $725,000, or do you account for the times and say, look, we can't justify $700,000 for not playing any games. Will you take less? Are they, Can they negotiate a percentage – of that so many people in so many sectors are taking pay cuts if they're still fortunate fortunate enough to be employed so it wouldn't be unreasonable to say look can you take a 10 percent or a 20 percent haircut to the extent that you can even get a haircut these days and will that be amenable for a Bolivar Mitchell or Mike Riley that's still major cash for someone who was supposed to earn sixty five thousand dollars the league minimum this year uh you shave six thousand dollars twelve thousand dollars off that that's a that's a pretty significant sum but i think you've got to protect some of these players if not maybe they just find work in other areas get comfortable with that take a year off football unavoidably and then you never see them again because they've established another career i think you need a bit some kind of transitional funding to ensure that you still have a player base that's reputable if and when you do return to action well, I also think that what are the players doing now? Like, I wonder how many are going to retire. Their wives are going to say, look, you're going to go up to Canada to make, well, let's say 75000 Canadian for, if they can make that much. Like, if you make, if you play eight games, you only make thirty five, thirty seven thousand Canadian. If you only play eight games, nine games, is your salary cut in half? And then it's Canadian dollars. And we know the Canadian dollar is not in very good shape now, too. So there's a lot of logistical things that are still facing players' own decisions. And we still haven't even talked about, will the border even allow them to come across? You know, how how will we have a football league 
if Canadian, if American players aren't allowed to come in Canada, because they're, they're still debating that and they're talking maybe the end of June, they might ease some of the travel restrictions, but do they come across and they get 14 day quarantine? Can the CFL afford to put up four or 500 men eating and living in buildings, doing whatever they're going to keep them for 14 days before they can play? And I wouldn't be in a hurry to open a border right now. Uh, no, when you look at the, oh, I don't want to have any. <laughs> you look at the degree of the pro of that the, the problem um, is is escalating in the United States. You you're seeing it subsiding in some areas and still in lockdown mode in others. Look at look at California. That's the largest state in the USA, and they're still in serious lockdown mode. It's not that much of an issue if you want someone from North Dakota to come into Canada, but once you open that border, who knows? And how can you possibly account for things just by taking temperatures? Um, yeah. Unless there's enough, unless the, the key is to all this is going to be testing. And if there's some way that somebody can certify and that people can certify in sufficient numbers that they've had that test and that they're fine, then the border crossing would probably be as simple as, as producing a certificate as opposed to being quarantined. They're in a situation in the United States, they can't even get everybody in Congress tested. So how are you going to test football players, baseball players, basketball players, the, the ordinary citizens? That's that's the problem. The whole political mechanism is, is, is a mess in the states. It seems to vary from state to state. You've got governors who are adamant about, you've got the Andrew Cuomo's of the world who are very cautious and systematic about reopening. And then you've got Florida saying, come play baseball here. You've got Georgia opening the border. So different governors have different philosophies. And I think you have to account for for those differences and be very wary of opening the border until there can be some sign in the United States that that, that, that is all but stamped out. You're talking hundreds of millions of people there. It's a much of a, there's a, it's of a much greater complexity in the United States than it is in Canada. And that's... I don't know how you get players across the border unless there's a special dispensation given for athletes. I also find it interesting that the uh, Mike Spence's uh, press secretary tested negative for the coronavirus recently, and then a couple of days later tested positive. So it doesn't necessarily mean because you're negative one day, you're not going to be positive two days later because they don't know about that. So there's also that aspect. And what do you do if you have 35 Americans all staying in a someplace? And one of them tests positive. What do you do? Do you shut down the season then? There's that's that whole other thing about when we would do testing and whatnot. All it took was Rudy Gobert to test positive, and the, the NBA world. shuts down, the NHL shuts down, junior hockey shuts down, and that's because of Rudy Gobert. Not blaming him, but that one test was the catalyst for pretty much the entire last yeah. two months of our lives. Yeah, just amazing where it's gone. And Tom Hanks, Rio Wilson. It's crazy how it's gone in two months. Like just, you know, it's, it's, it's whole I, mean, I don't hold out a lot of hope for any football this year. I don't. I, I can't. People at least, at least north play. of the border. I think the the National Football League will find a way. There's just too much money at stake. Uh, here, the financial picture is different. And you alluded to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers financial statement yesterday, but within that financial statement, Derek Taylor mentioned this on the Sports Cage yesterday. Each team was coughing up. Over six hundred thousand dollars, I believe, to prop up the Montreal Alouettes for a year. Yeah. So within that good news story, 
there was also evidence of what ails the CFL. And and as much as the Rough Riders and Winnipeg Blue Bombers and Edmonton Eskimos, probably Calgary are in good shape, you've got Vancouver, you've got Toronto, you've got Montreal. Uh, those are those are pro- those are those are the trouble spots. Those are the anchors that produce the deficit, the collective deficit to which Randy Ambrosi referred last week. Anywhere between ten and twenty million dollars. Well, even though it's supporting the Alouettes, and Randy didn't bring that up in the finances, how much it costs the league to support to prop up the Alouettes, and they had to, but they sold them, so it was probably a good. Can you call it a good business decision to spend that much money to keep a team around? I guess. So they eventually got the money, but yeah. now that ownership group is going to keep absorbing losses, one would think. Yeah. And you're hoping for a benevolent ownership group, much like is the case in Vancouver, much like is the case in, in Toronto. And then you know, people say, well, why should, why should federal money go to prop up billionaire owners? And that's a valid point. But to what, but to what extent do the David Braley's and Bob Young's of the world, to what extent does MLSE continue to throw money at the CFL before they decide we don't want to do this anymore? These people didn't get rich by making irresponsible financial decisions. Right. And if they all woke up one day and said, this is unsustainable, well, I don't want to do this anymore, this league might be a Western Canadian league, or you might end up with a Western inter- Interprovincial Football Union again. Well, isn't this business model almost unsustainable right now, based on Randy's admission that they're losing 10 to $20 million a season? Isn't That's what was really interesting with what he had to say, because, I mean, you've been to the State of the Union you know, press conferences that Randy Ambrosi's had at Grey Cups, and you've been around Randy Ambrosi and or any commissioner, and it's always everything's coming up roses. Even in the even in the mid nineteen nineties, when the very future of the league was imperiled, as it might be now, they were always trying to put a positive spin on things. Um, but now we're seeing the sad truth of the harsh reality of the Canadian Football League, and you're seeing that the despite the fact that it's it gets very good TV ratings and despite the fact TSN pumps anywhere from 40 to million 40 to 50 million dollars per annum into the Canadian Football League the overall operation of the league from BC to Montreal is a deficit situation and the you know Dave Naylor talked about this uh, the other day just how the the overall business model is broken and it's, you know, that was, it's clear now that that was an issue even before COVID-19 came up. And that's got to be something that the, the federal government has to consider now, because if the CFL can't run a business in a way that is universe, that is profitable collectively, what sense is there in, in pumping more money into a league that has a flawed business model, isn't it incumbent upon the Canadian Football League to perhaps scale down a bit or, or redo how they their manner of conducting business so that a profit is more feasible? Because I, I think, you're, you're throwing good money after bad if you allow the CFL just to keep going the way it has. But if they don't give it money now, Rob, they may not get the opportunity to fix that business model because, as I said, there's no money coming in. They do have season ticket holder and whatever sponsorship and merchandise money's in there, but that's hopefully going to start them the season. So how do they bridge themselves to the point where they can fix this game, this business model, without the financial help? 
I don't know how they do it. They, they, they need that bridge funding. They Not branded that. bridge funding because they're no longer playing football. There's but, no problem. Uh, the, federal, the federal government has already invested in the CFL with the, 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 the beautiful stadiums we have across this country that have all been used some federal funding to fix Mosaic, to make to build Mosaic Stadium. Winnipeg well, none, none, of the, none of the funding in, uh, that produced the new Mosaic was federal. Okay. Well, then there's – okay. Was you sure? I thought it was – yeah, that's right. Sorry. Private things. Okay. And the federal government has said several times we're not in the business of building sports yeah. facilities. And that, that's one of the things that killed the domed Mosaic Stadium is the Fed said we're not in for this. So yeah, then it became okay. a provincial and civic issue. But they still have these huge stadiums that will sit empty if they don't support some of the people that can get some support. Like high school football and university football is not going to pay the bills at Mosaic Stadium or Winnipeg or at Winnipeg Stadium. So there's still the impact. What do they do with these powers oh, sure. that they have? So does that be federal's responsibility? No, but it's part of the equation, I think. Oh, I, I wrote about that last week. If you're a Saskatchewan taxpayer, regardless of how you feel about whether federal money, whether it's a good idea for federal money to be pumped into a professional sports league, consider the stand, standpoint of a Saskatchewan taxpayer. And no, regardless of whether you pay pay it federally or if you pay it provincially, the taxpayers are on the hook for a considerable portion of the stadium. There's a $100 million loan yeah. that, the, that the city of Regina took out from the provincial government to enable Mosaic Stadium to be built. That was the final $100 million of a $278.2 million project. And the, the, the way that they figured it out was over 30 years based upon a projected attendance, I would think somewhere in the vicinity of 30,000 people, apply a $12 facility fee to yeah. every ticket for every major event, whether it's Rough Riders games or concerts or what have you, NHL games, soccer games. And over 30 years, that $100 million will be paid off. Well, suddenly, if Mosaic Stadium 2.0 is only the host to, what, maybe a concert or two every year? That whole model blows up, mm-hmm. and the city of Regina is still left with ninety million plus to repay. So, who gets stuck with that tab? It'll be the taxpayers. Who gets stuck with the annual maintenance in the millions of dollars every year, regardless of whether the Rough Riders are there? The taxpayers. So, if you're if you're a Saskatchewan taxpayer, it's a far far better thing for your federal ca- taxes to include a modest sum that goes toward keeping the Canadian Football League going as opposed to having to absorb that provincially and having to absorb that locally with a nearly $100 million uh, that taxpayers have to account for. So if you're a taxpayer, you want this regardless of what you think of the Canadian Football League. I, I just want to mention that you and I both know there are other issues in the world besides football. I yeah, there's, there's baseball. <laughs> no, I, I shouldn't be flippant. I mean, this is a very serious... We're so caught up in this world that we forget yes, there are there are other businesses in other parts of the world, in Canada, that people... We know people aren't working. We know people are struggling to get fed. We know there are people struggling to find jobs. And I understand that completely. And I, I'm not saying to dismiss what they're going through just because we should support the CFL, but as I said earlier, the CFL is an economic engine. Well, maybe not engine is the right word, an economic driver in cities and stuff. And you and I both know there's so many part-time employees that make their that supplement their income with jobs from rider games at Everest Place that need that work. 
And now they don't have any work in that part-time jobs. And they were the night, most of them are the nicest people you could ever meet. They were so happy. And I love, I, I'll tell a quick story. I remember I went to see Leonard Skinner at Brand Center and my seat was right down at the front row and I was I had hip issues. And the, the usher came up to me and said, why don't you get this seat? Put me on the top row, which was a much better seat for my issue. I thought, what a nice little thing they did for me back then, which has nothing to do with football, but it shows what the people who work at Everest Place can do. So oh, absolutely, we, we can't overlook that. And I, I keep hammering away at the economic impact of the CFL bigger than just the players. And unfortunately is that it's the players that are going to be dragging out because they make the, the big, the so-called big money people perception of big money. And I don't know how the CFL somehow Randy Ambrosi has to turn that perception around so that not that we know it, the rest of the world knows it. If you know what I mean, if you know what I mean by that. Well, Randy Ambrosi needs a new 2.0 1.0 before the house of commons committee did not go well. Mm-hmm. But there will come a day, likely very soon, where he's going to come to the table again and he's got to deliver. And he's got a, you know, he's in a, like a second and 25 situation after yeah. what happened last time. So he's he's got to deliver a, a, a performance that is devoid of the kind of holes that were apparent when he first appeared before that committee. He's really got to sell it. He's got to allay a lot of fears and, and overcome a lot of doubters. And, uh, this is a way bigger 2.0 for Randy Ambrosi than anything pertaining to Mexico or Germany or what have you. Whoever does his financing and prepares him for that has a big responsibility because I'm not saying that that's big picture stuff. The commissioner kind of brings it all together, but there's got to be someone in, in the background who's helping him out with this. And there's got to be some politicians who are in favor of this. And what I, I, I think it you look at Kevin Waugh, who, who, Asked very good questions of yep. of Randy Ambrosi last week. He's the MP for Saskatoon Grasswood, and was a sportscaster in Saskatoon for forty years. Yeah. So there's somebody you would think is, is is predisposed to support the Canadian Football League. Bob Bob Bertina also has a member of Parliament, also has a as the CFL in his background. So you think there's people there who would be just sympathetic by nature to the Canadian Football yeah. League, but they have a responsibility to the taxpayers to ask the tough questions, and they did. And it's a matter of not only winning over the politicians, but winning over the constituents, winning over the taxpayers who ultimately will be the benefactors. I remember way before this, I wrote a story with Michael Cram, my, who's my MP, member of parliament, and he had the same things. We can't, we're just not going to give him a blank check. And I think that's the impression I thought Randy was hoping for. And I know Randy may say no, 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 but that's the impression that came up. They're going to say, we're the CFL, we're Canadiana, we're the Great Cup. Give us money or we're not going to be able to survive. And the politician said, no, that doesn't work that way in our world. And I'm not saying how much it might be politicking because there seems to be a lot of the people disparaged or, or, or you know, going against the CFL are uh, conservatives or NDP. Maybe they don't want to see the liberals get away with something, but that's just another thought. But it is... Uh, are you scared? I'm not scared. And I, when I look at this, 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 around the idea of training camps would open this weekend and in a normal world, we'd be talking about all the good things that went on in the CFL. And they've done a pretty good job of hiding all these losses with a pretty bright picture for the CFL lately. And this weekend, what if it had to happen, we'd be talking about Cody Fajardo. We'd be talking about the Riders being the host team and the Grey Cup and all these kind of things. And 
and all these, you know, Montreal's got new ownership, but it's all, it's all done and overshadowed with by legitimately so by this, by what's happening to the CFL. I, I don't know how they'll ever get out of this, Rob. I really don't. And I know it's very pessimistic and not very bright and sunny, but I don't know how they get out of this. I think they almost I mean, have to. I think this is going to apply to sports in general, Mur. You're going to have a market correction. And it may be a lot more severe when you're talking about the NFL, the NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball, uh, where, where those ticket prices are a lot harder for, for fans to sustain. Uh, take, take a rider ticket price, and let's say it's $100. Well, that's not cheap, but they're only asking that of you for 10 games a year, including mm-hmm. the preseason, 11 if there's a playoff game. Plus, there's a, in a year like this, there's a Grey Cup opportunity. But $100 times... 10, that might be affordable for people. Now, if you live in Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, wherever, and you buy a cheap seat to an Oilers, Canucks, Flames, Jets game, let's say that's $100. Okay, but you're, you're multiplying that by 41 games, and you're probably paying more for parking. So the CFL, because of its smaller scale, that might work in its favor as far as, far as the restructuring of the economics, whereas it could conceivably be infinitely tougher for the teams that are that with with price points that are much higher, and with the number of events that are much more frequent, to uh, to maintain the status quo. But I still think at some point, especially when you look at the financial realities that have been laid bare lately, the CFL has to account, I think, for the lowest common denominator when it forward when it formulates an across the board business plan because you've got the haves and you've got the have nots, and it's almost backwards because the smallest markets are the haves and the and the, and the biggest markets are the have-nots. It's not what you would expect. It's certainly not baseball. But at some point, do you not have to build an economic equation across the board that allows everybody to make money? Do you, do you need to scale back a little? And do you need to account for the fact that fans are going to have to scale back a little? And maybe that $100 ticket has to become 50 yeah. Maybe the, the hot dog has to be $3 instead of whatever it is. What sports comes comes back? You just can't flip that switch and expect everything to return to normal because sponsors are getting decimated financially. People are getting decimated financially and people are going to be wary of gathering in, in large groups and accustomed to not doing so. And maybe the fact that they're now so inured to watching TV at home, maybe that just becomes the norm now. So I think you're going to, you're going to see a scaling back, not in the Canadian football league, but, everywhere and what might be the average or anticipated budget for a CFL team now might have to be $10 million less in the future. Yeah. We're also, and I think we're making the assumption that fans are going to come back. I'm not. I'm not. I don't think so. Like I'm wearing a mask when I go in the world now. I've only been out three times since I have my mask and I have to tell people I feel better wearing a mask. I just think I'm doing my little part along with staying at home and not having any sort of social life to say, to, to help lower, to help flatten the curve. I look around and there's a lot more people not wearing masks. So how comfortable are people going to go to Mosaic stadium if it opens on Labor Day to, to be in that kind of group? I, I don't know. Like golfers, we can maybe take extrapolation of the golfers. They're saying, yes, for sure. We're willing to take on all the chances because we love to golf, but you're also on a 400 acre facility where it's pretty easy to practice social distancing it's not too easy to practice social distancing i don't know for you and me sitting shoulder to shoulder in the press box 
and or fans sitting seat to seat. And so you take, so I don't know how they're going to say, yeah, I really love the riders. I've been waiting to see them. I've been spending the last six months trying to have enough money for food. Now I'm going to drop on a, a football game where I could end up sick. I don't know. Yeah. And, and that's going to be, you know, what, you, what Tim Reed had to say to you tomorrow, Tim Reed from Everest Place, about how many people you can realistically expect to put into the stadium now. And again, that alters the economics right away. Uh, even if even if there's an overwhelming uh, compulsion from people to go to rider games in the, in the numbers that have become customary, that's not feasible. And it might not be feasible. It, it probably isn't feasible until they find a vaccine. So this might be a 2021 issue in addition to a 2020 issue. Yeah, we could be doing this again. We started the season. They're not well, not starting the season in July. I think that's well. Well, look at look at the Queen City Marathon. Yeah, they've they're going virtual. That event was to be held September 11th to 13th. Yeah, and now that's off the table. The CNE in Toronto, which goes into September, that's now off the table. So the August 31st cutoff point that was. Say so you had there was that existed in in I think Ontario at one point it existed in Alberta. Now you're talking about events being canceled well into September, and mm-hmm. if the CFL is going to play, you'd think if they they can't start any later than Labor Day weekend. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? It's it is to the, it's to the point where very quickly they're going to have to make a call. Mm-hmm. You know what? What if they start a season and then and then somebody gets somebody tests positive or a few players test positive or fans to the extent that they're allowed, and then you have to shut it down again. I just wonder if the safest thing for all concerned is to say, look, this just can't be done, and let's let's hope we can we can return with a semblance of what people once accepted and enjoyed in 2021. Let's say you're a season ticket holder and they cancel the season. Are you benevolent enough to say, yeah, I'll leave my money in with them? No. Or you demand your money back? Because no. that, that will kill the league. That will absolutely bank up the league if they have to return season tickets. Not saying the Argos maybe <laughs> have many season ticket holders, but the Riders return twenty six thousand season ticket renewals. Boy, is that gonna hammer them. So I don't you know. You know, it depends how people, you know, insist upon it. I'm sure there'll be the option to say, look, we've got your money, can we just credit your account for twenty twenty one? And then they've still got the money and maybe the riders take that hit next year as opposed to immediately. But then they also have the wherewithal next year to 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 have some income coming in if the CFL returns as normal. I'm sure there'll be people that will want their money back right away. And I heard Craig Reynolds on CKRM a couple of weeks ago say, and I hope I'm remembering this correctly, that if somebody wants their money back, the Rough Riders understand what people are facing and they will get their money back. So if that's 15,000 people, that's a big deal. If it's 2,000 people, the riders still have some money to to get, get by. But, but even, I mean, this, we could talk for three hours about all even the we pay, I mean, Even we paid him, the riders are using that. That season ticket money is not just sitting in some bank account gaining interest. They're using that money to, I'm assuming, I'm not, I know accountant Craig Reynolds can, can tell me why they're otherwise, because he is an accountant. They're using that money to pay salaries, to keep the offices going, to, you know, do business with that money, I'm assuming. Don't you think so? Like, if. You would think of me. I, I presume that they've applied for federal assistance. Oh yeah, they have. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so that would be covering a considerable portion of the of the salaries as they exist. Other teams and the Rough Riders, to their credit, they haven't, at least as far as we know, laid off any people. Whereas mm-hmm. you've heard stories coming out of Edmonton and various places about pay cuts or people being let go. And 
the Rough Riders haven't gone there yet, but they've also got reserves that other teams don't. Uh, yeah, but they, got, they, got, they need that reserve to get to twenty twenty one. I think if they have to cut into that reserve for now, boy, that's a that's like you and I maxing out our credit cards to get through this month because we don't know what next month's going to be like. Exactly. If that's where we've got on for thirty six minutes and nineteen seconds. Uh, can we find a happy note? Where can we go to a happy place to say to everyone, "It's a long weekend." God darn, it's good to be in May, the middle of May. Well, here's, here's my happy note. I mean, I look around, and we're doing pretty well in Saskatchewan. Obviously, there are concerns, and what's happening in Losh is, is terrifying. And I, I hope everybody in, in that community in, in, in mm-hmm. northern Saskatchewan is able to, to get through this quickly. Because it's we in southern Saskatchewan are a little spoiled when you look at the numbers. But I don't ever want to lose sight of the fact that that there's people in really tough positions elsewhere in the province, elsewhere in Canada. More than 5,300 people in Canada have died. There's more than 80,000 people in the United States who've died. And uh, But we're lucky to be where we are. We're lucky the weather forecast for this long weekend is is beautiful. And we're lucky that there are light paths and parks, and I hope people enjoy them. And, and I hope your golf I hope your golf game finally gets below 120 this weekend. Think how many times the May long weekend has been the absolute worst. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we're lucky that the forecast is beautiful this weekend. Yeah, so I'm hoping to get out golfing and you can get out biking and walking and doing all those good things. And uh, I don't know, maybe we could wrap it up now because I don't see the next one we have is going to be any any more sun, sunny any more sunny days or sunny ways than this one did. But yeah, let's let's hope. Uh, I'd love to be writing about sports again. That's ostensibly what both of us do. <laughs> yes. We and well, maybe that's our last thing. Our jobs are they're covering the Rough Riders. We want to keep doing our jobs. So yeah, I mean, it's not. It's kind of hard to sell a Rough Rider book right now with with Indigo closed. <laughs> there's always Amazon and there's always Kobo. So okay. Murray, I really appreciate your time here. It's been great to. This is the longest chat we've had since the pandemic started. So I'm glad we could uh, have some people. Hopefully, we can still. Uh, I think we should just call it Rider Ramblings. Or something. It's something uh, like that. <laughs> I hope. Uh, I, I'd love to be able to sit down one day soon and say, you know, um, how is Otha Foster looking at linebacker? I think yeah. that'd be, it'd be wonderful to just immerse our, ourselves in the minutia of the Canadian Football League and of the Rough Riders roster as we typically would. Uh, yeah. And and there will be a day when when this is not forgotten because we'll never forget this. But maybe we'll appreciate things that we once took for granted, whether it's going to a movie or going to a football game or going to the library, uh, going to the gym, things that we once considered automatic are now just ruled out. And uh, I'd like I think, think we'll return appreciating the fact that we can walk into the front door of the Y or go to the public library and actually physically uh, take out a book. I'm looking forward to a haircut, if we're going to talk about I And people say, well, geez, you don't have much hair. Well, I'll tell you something. I got hair, hair today, and I got hair tomorrow, too. More tomorrow. So my ball spot hasn't grown in, but, boy, do I have a nice sort of crown going around here. Man bun, maybe, by the time I can get it cut. So, Well, just use some more of that head and shoulders weed killer that you've been using. And, uh, That's true, too, eh? Yeah. Yeah. My hair has been since high school, I think. I wow. My haircut is on Tuesday at 1 p.m., so... Yeah. Nancy McCurdy will take good care of whatever this is atop my aging head. Well, Don Whitegold has got me for 2 p.m. on May 23rd. So I'm not going from that day because I'm going to get all excited about getting my hair cut. So. Well, I look forward to the stunning visuals. And we're, we're very grateful 
that for people who've stuck with us through these, we've just hit the 40 minute mark now. Yeah, no, uh, Murray McCormick, thanks very much. This is alliteration day. Murray, Murray McCormick's on with me, and Mark Melnichuk has produced this. Um, this is Rob Vanstone thanking everyone for your time today, and uh, we hope to do this again quite soon with a much cheerier uh, subject matter than we had today. But such is the reality and such is how we portray it. Thanks for your time and take care and stay well.